Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a brilliant evening in the gorgeous mountains of Utah. Today's guest is best-selling romantic fantasy author Charlie N. Holmberg. Her books include The Paper Magician, Smoke and Summons, Spellbreaker, The Will in the Wilds, and the upcoming Star Mother. In addition to her full-time job as a writer, she dabbles in music and podcasting, as well as judging writing competitions. She's been published in over 20 languages and is at the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Our conversational chatter ranges all over, starting with Charlie's interest in music and her best awful band jokes, to dealing with bad reviews, working for Amazon's publishing imprint, and rude panelists. We also talk briefly about living in the shadow of our mutual writing teacher, Brandon Sanderson. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Charlie. (laughs) We had hot goss for like an hour and a half. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. You know how I like my hot gas. <laughs> so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not respond to that. <laughs> so, so how was, how was doing lockdown with a stay-at-home career and children? Honestly, like it, like obviously, like most of it wasn't bad. Because here's the thing: because I stay, I work at home anyway, so that didn't affect me. And then Jordan's in charge of the kids' school, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I didn't have to do a lot of the the digital stuff with Shiloh. My son kept my son still went to school, but my daughter did at home. And so most of that, like he had to handle when it first started, like I like would get super depressed, like clockwork every like ninth day. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I would just be like super bummed out for a day and then I'd be fine for another week and a half. And then I get super bummed out. And then I guess after three months, I got used to it. It is kind of weird <laughs> how you get used to that whole just not going out thing. Yeah. I went to the gym today without a mask and it was the weirdest thing because I don't require it if you're vaccinated. And so I yeah. just went without a mask and I'm like, this is so weird. <laughs> like, I felt like I was doing something wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, so you um you put out music recently. Mm-hmm. I'm putting out like a little bit every couple weeks. So I just. Because I saw there was, a, are there there are three songs on Spotify right now? Yes. And there's a fourth that's supposed to be out today, but CD Baby, who is the distributor, is having a moment. So it's on YouTube. <laughs> I put it up on YouTube, but I don't know if it's, I haven't checked for a few hours. I don't know if it put it on streaming yet or not. But yeah, that's like my new side hustle that literally no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's actually super cool because you, you know, I mean, you write. Uh, so would you consider that you write romantic fantasy? Yes, I would say that is accurate because all of my books okay. have magic and romance in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but And so you normally are writing, you know, kind of these books of, you know, about fantastical worlds. So why do you jump over to why why jump over to music? You know, um I actually probably got into music about the same time I got into writing. I wrote a lot of instrumental stuff as a teenager. I got like second place in state for reflections contest when I was 13. (laughs) There you go. Um, I actually still like that song. The left hand is just boring anyway. But, um, and I was like a a big band kid. I was in every music class there was except for percussion ensemble because I respected myself. Just kidding, you guys. I love drums. But there's going to be a drummer who listens to this and hates me. By the way, if you want a million band jokes during this, I am happy to supply them. What's our rating? (laughs) PG-13. You know what? It's whatever your audience is, because if they're swearing, I'm just going to put a little like thing at the beginning. Oh, there you go. It's like explicit with Charlie Holmberg, who writes clean (laughs) fantasy. Um, I know, right? But I knew when I went to college that if I had to learn music theory and go to all those classes, it would make me hate it. 
And so I majored in English, which is useless as I, you majored in English, right? Oh yeah. yeah Super it's useless. useless. It's stupid. Don't do it guys. Why? <laughs> Why? Like dude, I literally took a class that was how to use your English major. It was one credit and they had to have a whole semester of classes to be like, well, I guess you could use it like this. Like <laughs> dumbest thing. terrible. English is terrible. Don't do it. Um, if you're an English teacher, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, not sorry. In the words of Demi Lovato. So where was I? Yeah. So I did a lot of it. I was in a band in in um, college. I was in a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were called Cane for the Able, which is really cool when you see it. But when you hear it, it's not cool because it's like, supposed to be like a cane for the able bodied. But like it just sounds like a weird biblical reference that makes no sense. I That's what I had gone with. Yeah. So it looks cool, but it sounds stupid. And so I was with them for a little while. And then we had so much drama which we can get into if you want but so much drama and then we broke up or i broke up with them i was honestly <laughs> looking for a reason to break up with them and so when the smallest thing happened i was like i'm out bye <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and then um i got this is funny i don't know why i got married and i just kind of stopped doing music i don't i don't know what it was i was too busy having sex or something just kidding <laughs> um, listen guys when you live in mormon land <laughs> You wait until you're married and it gets very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For all the non-LDS listeners. Um, no, I don't know why. I just stopped. I, I kept writing, you know, because I got published after I got married. But for some mm -hmm. reason, I just stopped doing music. And then on my 12th book, which was The Will in the Wilds, which <clears throat> just won the Whitney for best novel. Um, we're just going to throw that in here. Also, that's a Mormon land thing, too, guys. <laughs> anyway. But I was just like, you know what? I want to write a song for this. And this is a super simple piano piece, which awkwardly is misprinted in the first print run. So Oof. don't try to, the sheet music's in the back of the book. Don't try to play it. Um, but then I just kind of got into it and I met this guy. Somebody introduced me to somebody who has a, uh, this is really long, I'm sorry, <laughs> who has a studio in his house. And then I found out he did composition lessons. And I was like, I want to do composition. So I started doing composition with him and he's like, you don't really need lessons. Like I'll, I'll just be your producer. And that's where we are now. Uh, that's that's actually really cool though. Yeah. I, I always have like a huge respect for people that do anything musical because it's, it's one of those spots. Like I just do not understand. I did eight years of band in, in school. Oh yeah. And I played the tuba very badly. Ooh, tuba. That's cool. Like when you get into the big brass though, that's kind of cool. I played the French horn. Okay. You ready for my first band joke? Go. How do you make a saxophone? <laughs> you're, you're not, but I'm going to tell you. How do you make a saxophone sound like a French horn? How? You put your hand in the bell and miss a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, tubas were cool. Like I actually started out on flute and then we needed French horn players. So I switched, which by the way, the way you play high on a French horn is very different from the way you play high on a flute. And that was a transition. But actually I started on sax and then I got this plate in the roof of my mouth for my braces. And then I moved to flute and then I moved to French horn. I played all of them very mediocrely, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a point. I don't remember what it was, but tubas are cool. Yeah. Were you, I mean, were you I did a marching the, band? Did you march? Oh, yeah, I did the sousaphone. <gasps> I did the big guy. It was That's great. That's so cool. We didn't have a marching band. We had a pet band. I played something called an elk horn. And it's like if a French horn and a trumpet had a baby. Hey, uh -huh. how many trumpet players does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? One. They just hold the light bulb and the world revolves around them. <laughs> I I got uh, in marching band. I, it was the best because I was section leader. And uh, my... <laughs> Out of the two tuba players you had. <laughs> No, we had five. Wow. Uh, but one of them was uh, was the band director's son, and he <laughs> loved me. And so I got away with doing anything I wanted. And the band director knew that I didn't really know how to play, but he liked me. So I just got away with it. That's funny. That's a three-fingered, right? Tuba's three-fingered? Yeah. Okay. I wonder if it's I the think same. Either, either that is or I'm going to be really embarrassed. I feel like it is. I think it's three fingers. I'm like trying to remember what it was 15 years since I last saw I, one. It's like the biggest instrument has the fewest keys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, simple is better for me. Yeah. Flute has like 25. I don't know. That's a lie. No, no. Like I couldn't even play. Uh, I couldn't even play the recorder. I played the re I played the tenor recorder in the Renaissance band <laughs> for the choir's that, Renaissance feast. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I wanted to be the bass, but my friend Allie got bass. I, I didn't know that there were like variations of the recorder. I did not either. <laughs> so now, and I was like, whoa, this recorder's so big. 
end of that story. There's nothing more to say about that. <laughs> hey, yeah. So you won a, you won a, did you win more than one award? I thought you won a couple of things at the Whitney's. I won um, best in adult spec and then I won best adult novel. So the Whitney's for listeners who aren't aware is, is uh, would you call it local to Utah just because it's kind of a Mormon thing? Yeah, so it is. You have to be a Latter-day Saint to get a Whitney, and most of us are in Utah. So yeah, yeah you could say it's a Utah thing, but technically it's a Latter-day Saint thing. But, but it's for books. It's for, you know, like, so you'll you'll get like, uh, I think Brandon's won a bunch of them. Dan yeah, has he won. had to recuse. Listen, the only I had won the Whitney one other time, and the only reason I did is because Brandon recused himself from the Whitney's <laughs> the year before, because otherwise I would have been going up against Oathbringer, and there is no way I would have won that award. <laughs> <laughs> but you won and that's awesome yeah that's very cool who was your competition this year um i know michael darling was one i don't remember the others i'm sorry <laughs> i didn't i didn't even I, I usually would judge like the romance or something and i didn't judge this year i i had so much to do i ended up judging the vivians this year which is the romance writers of america and i had to judge for the maryland writers association all during that time so i didn't Ooh. i didn't I didn't keep up with the Whitney's very much. So it's kind of even funnier that I won, especially because I didn't go. I did not go to the ceremony. Man, people actually ask you to judge things. They must like respect you or something. Yeah, I guess I'm okay at it. What's funny is like I had to judge. Um, they were all like excerpts from novels, but the what's it called? The rubric was for like short stories. So it's like, does it have a climax? I'm like, no, because it's like the first half of the first chapter. So everybody got a zero. <laughs> like, <laughs> I felt kind of bad, but they paid me. So it's all good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the end of the day, right? <laughs> so yeah. you get paid. Yeah. One of them paid me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually kind of transitioning from that kind of, I, I was curious about you're a mom, a full-time author, and you, you're a feminist, and you live in a very conservative culture area yes. place. Is that weird to navigate? Uh, not really. I feel like people in like our generation, because I think you're, st- you're like borderline millennial, right? You're like right at the <laughs> No, I, I'm solidly millennial. Okay. So we're, we're the Oregon Trail generation, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I was like, 86. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, 88. So I feel like people in our generation, like Gen Z, like are totally cool with it. It's when you talk to like older folks <laughs> that they get like <laughs> weird about it. Like they're the ones who will be like, oh, she's wearing pants to church and clutch their pearls, you uh-huh. know, whereas like my peers and stuff like they don't care, you know? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It's interesting because there's definitely like a culture here, but like, yeah, I feel like it's only weird when you get to people who are like over 45. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's not just limited to kind of, you know, Utah and Mormon land. I like I know that you've we've talked before that you've run into quite a bit of rudeness on panels from Oh yeah. Uh, especially older men. Uh dude bros. Dude, the bros. dude bros. Yeah, and they were both over 45. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay, here's the drama about that. So, I I won't name names, <laughs> but I was on a panel about world building with three guys. One of the guys who was close to me in age is actually a friend I had, and we had a falling out. So it's already kind of like awkward around him. Like I didn't speak to him for years, and then we ended up going to like stuff at the same time, and we just started being nice to each other. Like he was super mature about it. Yeah. Um, and he was like the saving grace of that panel. Like he was actually respectful, even though I was like, "You're so disrespectful. I'm not going to be your friend." Like seven years before. So it was kind of funny. And then like the two guys who you think would know better, who would be like the mature guys, like they were so rude. They were, but like, oh, it's so annoying because I know that you think that I'm a very shy and demure person, but (laughs) but it's like, I have no problem calling people out when they do that. But it was like just subtle enough that I felt like if I called them out that the audience would be like, you're crazy you know because that's what that's what women get labeled they just get labeled as crazy but then I found out later that like somebody had told another one of my friends like that about my dude bro panel I'm like oh did you talk to so-and-so because I'd only told one person about like oh no they were just in the audience I'm like okay so at least one other person in the audience also thought that they were being dude right but yeah they're just like they just I don't know the moderator would just dismiss everything I was saying 
And like he and the other guy would just talk not quietly to each other when I was speaking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, like just be like laughing and chatting with each other while I was speaking. And like the guy would try to ask these like really like he's trying so hard to be philosophical questions (laughs) about world building. And I'm like, do you mean this? And he'd be like, do I? I'm like, I hope so, because this is a world building panel. Like, what are you doing? He was dumb. Anyway, that was a really long rant. I just go on rants. Give me a new thing to soapbox about, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that you're kind of because you are you are very outspoken and you you kind of have a presence me? at these conventions and things <laughs> like that. And so I'm always um, you know, you're you're a bit of a in some ways like a guidepost for me to be able to talk to and see like how <laughs> How you navigate these kind of things? Oh, you know what's funny? It's like well, it's like we have the our, our author. Ugh, I have a speech impediment, guys. We have our author Slack, and everyone was talking about like how they met Brian. I'm like, how they became friends with Brian. I'm like, I remember how I met Brian, but how did we be friends? Because we met because they were doing a thing on Brandon Sanderson where basically they interviewed Brandon Sanderson and we looked cute in the background. <laughs> right. But I'm like, you know what? It probably was. I bet you were at LTUE or something, and I just like extroverted on you. And you couldn't leave. And so that's really how it happened. <laughs> As I've, I've made a few friends that way. It's fine. <laughs> if it works, it works. I, that's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I, I do remember us going and like, we hung out at brand in Brandon's office for like two hours with pictures and interviewing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then the article came out and it was like all Brandon. <laughs> and then it mentioned the two of us at yeah, the end. We're in the picture, but the article is all about Brandon. And I was just yeah. like, okay. I mean, I get it. But- oh, yeah, I totally get it. I just do find it kind of funny. Yeah, it's okay. When he dies, yeah. I'll take over his kingdom. He doesn't know this yet. Are you you planning a coup at some point? I'm planning a coup. No, because I would have to learn all the Cosmere, and I just can't. I love Brandon's writing. Like, he's one of my favorite authors, but, like, the people who are just, like, gung-ho Cosmere, like, with all the theories and stuff, I can't keep up with it. I'm like, and it gets too close to math for me. Like, that's the same, like, why I couldn't do music theory? It gets too close to math. And when things get too mathy, my brain just shuts down. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't do big stuff like that. You know, I, it's funny because I love that kind of big stuff, but I just, there's a, there's like a limit. Like, there's mm-hmm. a wall I hit at some point where it's just too yeah. many characters, too many, you know, moving pieces. And, you know, the, the book that I sent you recently, the one that's out next June, you know, that one, like, it's my most ambitious thing to date. And it took mm. me like three years to write it. Yeah. I'm sure it's really good so far. <laughs> but every time I try to plot out an epic fantasy, like I have one on my wall right now, like in post-it notes. And every time I try, it's like I get real excited and then my brain just shuts down. It's like, nope, this is too much work. It's the same reason why I can't play Settlers of Catan. It's too much work. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just, I just, I, I started out writing Epic too, which is funny, but I've just morphed into more like simple high fantasies and historicals instead. Well, the only the only one of your books that I've uh, read is the Smoked Summons. Good. Was that the name of the first one or the yeah. series? No, this is the first one. Yeah, that's my most yeah. male oriented book. And I I really <laughs> liked it a lot, but it felt like it had this like the, the trappings of epic fantasy. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. But you also managed to keep it like that wasn't super long, was it? it was, what ninety thousand or something that, like that? That's my longest published book. <laughs> it's ninety one. <laughs> it's ninety one thousand words. <laughs> See, but uh, like I I thought it was a great length, and I. I thought it was cool that you were able to get across an epic fantasy feel without it, you know, kind of going on forever. Oh, thank you. People just don't talk. They just do stuff. <laughs> just nobody yeah. talks in my books. <laughs> well, the, you have to do stuff and kissing, right? Well, kissing is doing stuff. Actually, Smoke and Summons is the my only published novel that does not have a kiss in it. Does it really not? It doesn't. But the second book does. Oh, I, I mean, I, I imagine so. You're kind of leading that direction. Oh, yeah. You got to have some. But it's just like, it's all build up. It's all build up so I could have so much. Like the first 20,000 words of the second book is all just people having angst. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all angsty twilight feelings. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I guess like readers do find that kind of cathartic sometimes. I love it. I love angst. <laughs> I love Angst it. causes so much anxiety inside of me that I end up kind of, I, I just get angry about it. Aww. Like, you know, either go off screen and do your stuff or stop pining. Oh, see, I love, I love having my heartstrings pulled and like my feelings manipulated. <laughs> but like, I like freak out with like, like the beginning of 
what's it called a quiet place Mm -hmm. my dad like insisted i watch that movie and spoiler in the beginning like a kid dies and that's like my anxiety trigger and i did not want to watch the rest of the movie after that i did yeah but like that's the kind of stuff like i don't like i don't like dead baby jokes or anything like that yeah Uh, i don't even have children and i'm that is very that's i'm very much not yeah cool with that stuff well i mean it's just they're just shock factor jokes anyway you know and it's right which is like the cheapest form of humor I I had a really close friend who I think in middle school he got into dead baby jokes and Ooh. every single time I saw him it was a new one and I just I hated it so much. <gasps> Ethan if you're listening I love you still. It's not our Ethan is it? No no different Ethan. Okay. Long long time friend of mine. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how do you how do you deal with criticism Charlie? Oh my gosh. Listen, I'm a rage monster on the inside. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked that question. <laughs> no, that's how I deal with all emotions. Like, I am very much a hard on your sleeve person. I get so, like, emotionally violent, like, alone by myself. And then five minutes later, I'm fine because I just, like, expunge it all at once. But, I mean, I don't read my bad reviews, mm-hmm. which actually, well, in general, I don't. I recently started because I started writing songs of my bad reviews on Instagram. And so then you have to go through and find like the funny ones. And so then you have to read what people are saying about you. But honestly, like the ones where they're like, one star, this book sucks. I don't care. Like that doesn't bother me. But when they're like two stars because she did this wrong. And I'm like, that's not even in the book. (laughs) Like they'll be like, that's not how you make a brownie. And I'm like, nobody makes brownies in this book. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Those ones bug me. The ones that like have logical and fallacies. I had one recently that I found when I was looking for ones for songs and it was a two star review because he really liked the book, but he didn't like that the wedding vows were sexist. And he's like, I know that they're historically accurate, but I'm a reader in 2021. And I'm like, well, it's a historical novel. What do you (laughs) expect? Ones like that. Those ones kind of bug me a little bit. But as you probably recently saw on Slack, the ones where they email me, they like, Cause like I can choose not to go on Goodreads or Amazon's, but when they email me reviews, especially when it starts nice mm-hmm. and then they're like, but you suck. Then it's like, I hate those. I'm like, you guys are all at a special place in hell. Like don't email authors, your bad reviews, like post them on your blog and be done with it. Well, yeah. Cause there's something kind of insidious about the whole like lead in of I'm a huge fan. And then like, it like turns a corner on you. And yeah. so you're, it's like the rug getting pulled out from under you. Yeah. It's like, it's, it feels very manipulative. Like I really loved your books. Like you're one of my favorite authors, except now you're not. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. They're funny. People are funny. Do you think that uh, authors kind of respond to reviews differently than maybe other creative professionals because we literally we don't really i mean sometimes you collaborate but most of the time we're just sitting alone in an office doing our thing maybe i because like here's the thing like authors the whole being an author we thrive on reviews if we don't have reviews good or bad our book doesn't do well whereas you go to like other creative things like art and acting and stuff like that they don't thrive on reviews before the movie ever comes out like they've they're successful you know yeah it's like I, I, we're a very review based like profession. So if somebody doesn't like my book, I still want them to review it. Right. Just don't email it to me because I like feeling good about myself, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of hard not to take that personally because like, you know, like a, like a movie is going to be like, it's the culmination of, of a thousand different people working on this thing yeah. that goes to screens all over the world whereas like a book you're it's like you and then you know you get some editorial help and things like that mm-hmm. but it's it's 99% you yeah and also it's like somebody like might point out something that might even be an actual error in your book and it's like well I'm not self-published I don't have control over this I can't fix it like sorry like you point I, I I'm sorry that you don't like it but pointing out to pointing it out to me doesn't do anything because I can't fix it like I don't even own the rights to the novel do you if you have somebody email you like a um like just to tell you that there's like a like a grammar error or something stupid like a misspelling do you forward that on to your publisher or do you just ignore it you know I'm more likely to now because um they can fix it in the ebook yeah. really easy but not always. <laughs> I okay, let me tell you this. The number one reader complaint emails that I get are so funny because 
there are all these people who complain about me mentioning a gopher hole in the master magician in England and England doesn't have gophers. It's just, it seems like the most random thing. And I was like, okay, I got to go fix. I'm finally like, I'm just going to fix it. Cause I'm so sick of getting emailed about it. I get emailed about it so much. And I go and look and it's one mention. There's one mention of gophers in the entire series. And she trips over a gopher hole and that's it. And that one sentence is what I get emailed about more than anything else. But we did finally just fixed it in the ebook. I was like, can we just fix this because <laughs> I'm going insane. I don't know. A lot of times, like, I mean, I have people email me like, oh, you need to fix these grammatical errors. And I'm like, those aren't grammatical errors. That's actually correct. Yeah. Like I had somebody once say, oh, you're using the word save instead of what was it? Because or something. And it's being used wrong. I'm like, no, that's the saying. Brian likes ice cream. Save gelato. Like except yeah. for gelato. And it's like, no, that's actually a correct use of that word. <laughs> like I get that a lot too. <laughs> usually when people send me stuff like that, I just don't respond. Right. No. It's I, I do feel like it's usually easier to ignore it. You know, I yeah. like there's sometimes where you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that's I like I use the, like there's I think there's an instance in Promise of Blood where I I use the wrong name um, and oh. and it's just one time, <laughs> but I've gotten five, six emails about it and it's I can't really do anything about it. I do think I forwarded it on at some point to my publisher and they were kind of like, yeah, we'll try to remember next time we do an edition. Yeah. Well, like most of your books are like, they're all in print and they're on bookstores. Whereas most of my books are 85% of what I yeah. sell is ebook. So at least that makes it a little easier to change. But like for you, it's like, there's nothing, I literally nothing I right. can do about it. Tell them to mail them your, their book and you will cross it out and write in the right name and mail it back to them. <laughs> But that would require extra work on my part. I know. It'd just be funny if you had this like whole like pre-written long lengthy email with really specific instructions that you just sent back to them and to see if they took it seriously. Oh man, that's the problem though is that some uh, somebody would eventually. Somebody would. Oh man. I uh, So yeah, you're because you're published through 47 North, the Amazon imprint, right? Yes. So how do like, so Amazon is... It tends to be kind of vilified among publishers because of I know. because being the gigantic because they do it the right ju the juggernaut that they are. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. just talking to you, I I feel like that you've never really had a bad experience with them. No, they've been absolutely great. Yeah, it always I it rankles me a little bit whenever people are like bash Amazon. Somebody actually commented on one of my Instagram posts once saying, "Okay, but buy the book from Barnes and Noble, not Amazon. We don't want to support Amazon." And I'm like. I'm not going to tell you that I'm an Amazon right. author. <laughs> it's like, by, you know, but yeah, they are really vilified. And I know like sometimes it's like, oh, like apparently like some of their warehouse conditions weren't good or something, but it's like, but we're the Amazon publishing, like we're different from that. And it's like, Amazon has the infrastructure to deliver books cheaply and quickly and people get mad about it. Yeah. You know, like you go get uh, an ebook from one of the big, I guess it's big four now. And it's like, $14. It's like, a, it's more than a paperback and it's, and it's an ebook. There's no like production cost, you know, whereas like Amazon, the most expensive my ebooks will ever be is $4.99. <laughs> nope, $5.99. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things that you can kind of like argue the villain and virtue kind of thing across. You can do that at conventions and in person and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, man, like we've got like, it's a job for us, right? Mm -hmm. We just, you know, we've got somebody who's paying our bills and you know, you, uh, and I, I almost hesitated to bring it up because like, obviously you're not going to slack off the person that pays you, the company that pays you. Yeah. But it is like for writers, you know, we kind of, we do just need to do the job and try to, you know, use what publisher that we've got and that we can, yeah. that will put out our books. Um, you know, there's some authors that have like genuine power, but most don't. Yeah. Most don't. I mean, most authors don't even make a living wage, right? It's their, right. It's their part-time job. But yeah, I've been super happy with Amazon. Like they pay really well. They market really well. Like really the only hang up I have is that it is hard to get in bookstores because so many bookstores are anti-Amazon and so they won't yeah. carry my books. So there's been drama with that, you know, with local indie bookstores and stuff like that. But I still wouldn't trade it. Right. Like Amazon's been great. No, that's fantastic. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You you started back in February doing your own podcast. Yeah, I think it was the end of January. I thought it was February, but I lied. (laughs) So that's Your Mom Writes Books, right? Yep. Your mom writes books. And you do that with uh, Caitlin McFarlane, your co-host. She's another author. My co-host and bestest friend <laughs> and co-writer. We co-wrote a book. It's being shopped right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How, um, so what made you guys want to start doing the podcast? She had actually mentioned it a couple times over the last few years. Like, oh, we could always do a podcast. Like, it would just be a conversational, easy thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time for a podcast. Eh, podcast. And then I, I don't know, all of a sudden I was like, let's do a podcast. You know, I think maybe I had finally started. I'm not a huge podcast listener, mm-hmm. but I had finally started listening to podcasts. And I'm like, I could do this. Like, <laughs> you know, I love to talk. I was like, what would we, okay. I'm like, I don't, I honestly, I'm not totally sure what, what flipped the switch for me, but I was like, Hey, what would we talk about? What would we do? And I'm like, okay, they have to be like 10 minute episodes because like people like short podcasts. You're like, no, people like long podcasts. I'm like, okay, I guess so. And then I started listening to podcasts. I'm like, I do like long podcasts, <laughs> but yeah, it's been really fun. So I've enjoyed it with her. Cause like we like have these like long conversations about writing all the time anyway. So now we're just recording them. Yeah. And so that is that basically what you've been trying to aim for, for the content? Yeah. So we usually have um, a subject matter. Sometimes we do Q&As, like when readers send us questions, or we'll talk about uh, romantic walls or how plot affects character. And so that's the the overarching subject. And we we just chat about it and occasionally go on tangents, but it's very like a casual writing one. It's not us telling you. Okay, step A, do this. Step B, do that. You know, it's just us talking, but between our insights, because like Caitlin has a lot of insights that I don't have. And so between the two of us, I feel like we get some good information out there. At least people have told me so. (laughs) I just feel bad that they have to listen to my voice to get Caitlin's wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been enjoying the whole thing though? How many episodes have you done? Oh, I think we're at like 15 maybe now because we have one. We've had one every Tuesday since like the last week of January. Oh, that's red. So she's going on vacation in July. And so we have to record two episodes a week for the next three weeks (laughs) just to cover all the time. So... I'm talking to her a lot. Good thing I like her. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So how do you like, so you you do music, you do, I mean, your main career of writing, and you do a podcast now. Like, how do you keep all this freaking stuff straight? <laughs> One, and this is why I always tell people, I really don't have a lot of hobbies. So I know it's like I'm not like I'm doing other right. things. <laughs> but also, I mean, a lot of it is my husband. He is a stay-at-home mm-hmm. dad. And so he gives me the time to do all of these things because he's wonderful. And he's like the first person I thank in all of my acknowledgements. <laughs> but he also makes it really possible. And then I'm an, I'm very much like an anal A type personality. Mm-hmm. And so when people ask like, oh, how how do you how do you write so many books a year? How do you do this? I'm like, I I feel bad. I'm like, I can't tell you. It's really just how my brain is wired. Like procrastination stresses me out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's just it's just how I think. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Procrastination. It can be a pain Procrastination sometimes. Procrastination stresses me out too, but like I feel like I have a really high threshold for that stress because I, like I, <laughs> I will procrastinate for weeks. I will go for months without answering reasonably important emails and it's not good. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten worse with my emails too. Because I've just sometimes you just get so many and it's like, I just, you know, I don't want to look at them right now. But it's like somebody will email me and they need something and it's not due for two weeks. But I feel the need to get it done right then. And if I can't, because like if I'm at like 
I'm not home or I'm with the kids or something like that and I can't do it right then, then I stress out. Yeah. So it's like reverse procrastination, stress out. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, um, when you, when you write, do you kind of, do you segment off yourself from your family working from home? So like, do you have to say, okay, kids are not allowed in the office, et cetera? Yeah. I don't like being interrupted. Yeah. If I'm doing copy edits or something, that's fine. But when I'm drafting, I have to go into little, you know, book world. And it's kind of like, you're not even in your office anymore. You're like, you're in the book, like you're reading it. And if I get interrupted, it's just, it's hard to get back into that. And it just kills my word count. Do you generally keep a a schedule for that? Yeah, I work every morning at nine. So I help get the kids ready and off to school. And then I just go downstairs, usually from nine to lunch, whenever I eat lunch. And that's like my time. And so my husband knows that's my time. <laughs> we used to, <laughs> we've had a few talks because I used to get so mad at him when he would interrupt me and he doesn't, he doesn't understand mm-hmm. book world, you know, and he'd be mad that I was mad at him, you know? And so it took like a while for us to like, to understand each other. But yeah. And then sometimes if I get like a break in the afternoon or evening, then I'll do like the answering emails and like the technical stuff, the social media stuff. Yeah. But. I I had uh, about five or six months ago, I was talking to my therapist and I said, I want to learn how to like be a real responsible businessman. I want to be at work at a certain time and and sit at my desk and actually do work. And we tried talking about that for a few weeks. And then I went, you know what? That's too hard. I want to lose weight instead. <laughs> Change my right, goal. Right, right. I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm at least accomplishing that. So very good. Good for you. Um, I was gonna say, I'm really sorry if the microphone picked up my burp. I have very weak sphincters and it's hard for me to keep it down. <laughs> I'm going to add the word, the, the, the word sphincter to the, the clip of what did you say earlier? Oh, my yeah, diarrhea, diarrhea song. song. We'll see if any of that stays in the edit. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to see what happens. So when, what kind of, what kind of work did you do before you ended up getting published? Did you start any other career? Yeah, I was a technical writer. So I was a technical writer, a technical editor, depending on where I was working, which actually right now I'm writing a contemporary romance. So no magic except for love. <laughs> and I'm very, very hard pulling on my experience as a technical writer, especially for yeah. one of place that I worked that I really hated working at. But yeah, that's what I did. I did for three years, I think. Yes, I did it for three years um, before I got so fed up with my other job that I quit. I had gotten my agent offer. I think I had sold a book. I'd sold my first book, had not gotten paid yet. (laughs) But I was just like so fed up with this company that I just outright quit, which uh, caused some stress in my marriage. But we got through it (laughs) because I didn't get paid for six more months. My husband had a job, but I mean, he was a student. It was a part-time job. Um, but we were also living in Idaho, so everything's cheap. We were fine. Because I'm just one of those people, like, I'd rather be poor and happy. Right. You know, it's just always been me. But, yeah, that's what I did. And I liked it. Well, it's funny. It's like the the first place I worked at, which was called Fusion IO, and I loved that place. But it was really steep technology. It was hard to understand. And so I love I loved the atmosphere and I love the people. And then the second place I worked, which we won't talk about because I'll say mean things about them. I actually really liked my work but I really hated the atmosphere and the people. Right. And that kind of does it for me. So everybody was just like super passive or aggressive. That's funny because I know a lot of authors uh, either currently or have in the past kind of supplemented their income with, you know, with technical writing and with editing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I've never been in like a position where I, where I write as a day job, like a real day job. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like super weird? Knowing what you know now is kind of like a long time creative professional from home. Like, do you look back on that time and like, and look at it kind of strangely? Not really. Cause I mean, I've always, like I said, I'm a very type A analytical kind of person. And I've actually always liked editing. I was a bad friend in junior high and I would send my friends notes back to them with editing <laughs> all over them. And it's actually, it was in that class I mentioned where it's like, here's what you can maybe do with an English degree. They talked about the editing minor because my goal had been to do the minimum I had to at BYU to graduate. And they started talking about the editing minor. I'm like, oh, I could probably get like better chance at jobs. I do like editing. And so I ended up doing an editing minor because like I, like the non-creative side of me really likes it. I actually remember in one of our editing classes, we had to write a one page paper about whether editing was an art or a science. 
everyone in my class that it was an art except me because he had us all go around and say like basically like what our thought was and I was the only one who said editing is a science if you think you're being artistic you're dumb which I guess for books like if you're developmentally editing a book like that can be right. artistic I guess but we were in a copy editing right. class right copy editing right. you know it's like I want you to use an m dash because it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> I like M dashes. They just, I use them for everything. Probably. Oh, they're amazing. Probably annoys the crap out of my copy editors. Maybe. I feel like I, I'm one of like, I feel like one in 5 million authors use semicolons. <laughs> and I feel like I'm one of the few people who semicolon everything. I have, I have people take my semicolons out and do M mm. dashes, but it's an art, right? <laughs> art. Semicolon has meaning. Well, and that's <laughs> one of those weird things. That's like kind of, I, I feel like every author I've ever talked to uh, kind of, has at least one story of of conflict with their copy editor um oh at least at one. least one and because it is weird because you do get that kind of the copy editor some of them are amazing um but also some of them mm-hmm. seem to like try to help you write the book and at least for me mm-hmm. that's like crossing a line yeah it's yeah it's interesting because sometimes i butt heads with editors and sometimes i don't but it'll be the same editor so it's it's yeah. interesting for sure. I got into a tiff with one once. It wasn't a mean tiff, but I can't remember. It was about hyphenating colors. <laughs> so it was like he had blue green eyes. Would you hyphenate blue green or not? And I was just like, and like they had science on their side. Like, well, Merriam Webster says this. I'm like, but I swear it should be this way. <laughs> I lost. I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't care enough. Right honestly to push it but like there was some back and forth on that <laughs> some battles aren't worth fighting too far no they really aren't like yeah with copy edits like i'm i i just don't care i'm a i'm not that picky about a lot of things like if somebody's going to like completely rewrite my sentence and make it dumb <laughs> like i had an editor once who would rewrite my sentences into passive sentences and i did not understand <laughs> So like that, like that bothers me, but like, you know, so eh. why the, uh, <laughs> why the transition to contemporary romance? Um, honestly, it's because, uh, my publisher will only publish so many what will slash can only publish so many of yeah. my books a year. And so I just kind of start, I'm already starting to bottleneck a little bit. Uh, like I'm good till 2024 oh, right now, you know, like, so they get, they, they get all of my adult fantasy. So it's like, okay, well, I have to write something besides all adult fantasy if I want to send it anywhere else. And I don't, I'm not really into YA very much anymore. And, but I do like romance. And I was like, well, I should try contemporary romance. I had some ideas. And I was just telling Jordan, my husband, about one of them one night. And I just got real, really excited about it. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go write this. And let me tell you, Brian, after writing historicals and high fantasies forever, contemporary is so easy. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have to look up if this word is anachronistic or not. They can just do this. I can make metaphors about technology. <laughs> it's like amazing. I, I, I don't have any idea if this is true, but I read once that kind of the romance uh, genre is incredibly static. Like there's a there's like a formula for writing a romance book. And if you oh, yeah. break it, you're just not ever going to sell. I, I don't know about that, but there definitely is a formula and there's a lot of readers who expect that formula. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read books that aren't totally formulaic, like um, The Wall of Winnipeg and Me. I wouldn't say that definitely hits some of the fo- formula things, but it's a very good romance book and it is long. Like romance novels usually aren't that long and that book is long, but it's worth it. You know, like you'll find people who do break them, but there are definitely expectations but at the same time, writing romance is so beneficial because romance readers are piranhas. They are, um, they're like vicious zombies. Like I, and like, I know I am one, <laughs> um, you know, cause they will just like gobble it up. And because romance books are usually like, I don't know, 50 to 75,000 words long. They just like, they just consume, 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 consume. And that's why so many romance writers are indie yeah. authors because they can get them out so much faster than they can with a publisher. So like romance is definitely booming, but yeah, there's definitely formulaic stuff. Like if you don't have a happy ever after, first of all, it's not a romance, <laughs> but like you will be crucified. People will find out where you live and they will crucify you in your front yard. <laughs> that's, that's awfully savage. <laughs> they will. I, I will help them. <laughs> I'm all about happily ever afters. It's not, if it doesn't have an HEA, it is women's fiction. It is not romance. Man, it's funny because I, you know, I, I kind of 
I've never been like a super hardcore like grimdark reader or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I've I've enjoyed grimdark stuff. But like ultimately, I always like having a generally happy ending. Like yeah, I don't even I don't even try to like you know make readers guess. I'm just like, look, my endings are gonna be reasonably pleasant for everybody involved. Yes, reasonably pleasant is what I go for. Like minimum is reasonably ple- pleasant with the but with the romantic subplot, it's always <laughs> happy. <laughs> they will always end up together. So. I actually d- recently decided I'm like I need to kill more people in my books. I feel like I'm not killing enough. People. I, you know, I had that same I'm thought. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I don't. I don't think I kill enough people either. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna read your book and I'll tell you who to kill. And I'll okay, thanks. And I'll put that in the second book. I'll just edit. start knocking them off. Okay. <laughs> if he kills off any of your favorite characters, guys, nice. it's my fault. <laughs> so, so your next book I, that's out is I think uh, Spellmaker. Yeah, it came out in March. Wall Street Journal bestseller. What was that again? <laughs> I hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller. Hey, that's awesome. We're number two. Oh, I said that was the next book. That's the one that just came out, right? That's the current one. You did. Yeah, you said yeah. that. You're good. Okay, so, no, so Spellmaker out. was a sequel to Spellbreaker. Yes. And so you got another bestseller. That's awesome. Yay. Are, you, are there going to be any more books in that series? I Like, there should be. I set it up so I could write a third book if I wanted to. And I outlined most of it. And then my brain was just like, <laughs> one of the reasons I can't write epics is like, I just, I have a hard time doing series because my brain doesn't like staying in the same world for that long. I like hopping around to different ideas, different books. Yeah. So maybe my brain will come back around and we'll write the third book. I don't know. I also want to write another paper magician book, but my brain just hasn't come around to it yet. So we'll see. So the next one though is going to be Star Mother in September? In November. It uh, was September and it got moved. Ooh, okay. Yeah. November 1st. So what's Star Mother? Star Mother is a high romantic fantasy. <laughs> Um, the, it's actually, it's the idea that stars, which are like the, which power the universe, universe can only be made by the sun God and a mortal mother. And the mortal mother always dies until one day she does it. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And romance happens. I, I mean, I, I hope so. So that's awesome. Is that one going to be part of a series or is standalone? <laughs> yes. So I just turned and start, which is funny. This was a work. I didn't think this was actually the title of the book, but apparently it is. Um, I just turned in Star Father, which is a series. It's it's a companion series. Yeah. So it has like like one of the same characters and it's the same world, but it's not the same storyline. Like it takes place a few hundred years later. And then I might do a third one for that one. I haven't decided yet. Okay. That's red. Very cool. Yeah. I and, like it. and you've been you try to put out these pretty quickly, but you said you're kind of bottlenecked. <laughs> yeah, I because I publish my publisher publishes about two books a year. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if I have a trilogy, they'll do three in a year. Um, but I usually write, I would say four a year. And so they do start adding up a little bit. <laughs> so I have one and my editor, my editor's on maternity leave. <laughs> so I have to wait for her to come back for her to even like buy anything else. So she has one. She has one that's the beginning of a trilogy. And then I have another one that's a standalone that I really love. It's my longest. It would be my longest published book. And I really love it. And it's about trolls. And it's just it just has to sit in La La Land for now until we can figure out what to do with it. Does that cause you a bunch of anxiety? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hate waiting for things. And I'm like, and that book's been done for like a year and a half. And it's like, well, at this rate, it probably won't come out till 2024, regardless of which publisher it goes through, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> I had a I I had a friend recently mentioned, oh yeah, sometimes, you know, some some editors, you know, they'll take they'll be swamped and they'll take up to 10 months to get back on edits. And I just I wanted to throw up like like the idea of waiting 10 months. <gasps> I had to wait about that long for Star Mother to get bought just because I gave it to my editor right before COVID hit. <laughs> And so I feel like everything was in upheaval. And so it took a while for them to get back to me. So I was really happy when it sold. And like, they were awesome though. They like, they sped up the process a little bit. So I'm not going to have a gap in my publishing schedule. So that's great. Oh yeah, that is great. But I did have to wait and I was just like, I want to know if you still love me. <laughs> Man, I'm this, uh, this new book that I've got coming out next year is it, it will be the longest gap I've had between published books. And honestly, just knowing that that gap will have existed really bothers me oh yeah how big like two years um let's see i think that my last one was i think it's going to be two and a half years between books even with blood tally um 
Oh, I guess if you count my self-published stuff, that's different. I like Blood Tally. Oh yeah, I'm glad you liked that. It was good. It was good. I had to. I I had for the readers or for the listeners. I had to. Um, I had to have Charlie check the the romance angle in Blood Tally because <laughs> I've never literally never written anything romantic before. And he's like, I think this doesn't work. I'm like, no, it totally works. If I was that chick, I would totally jump on this guy while he was driving his truck. <laughs> <laughs> No, I liked it. It was good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, all right. So final question for you, Charlie. Uh, and this is very important because okay, it's ready. close to my heart. Um, what's the last really amazing meal that you had? <laughs> oh, man. The last really amazing meal. Yeah, like dynamite. Meal. Like something that you went to bed thinking about. Okay. So last June, I stopped eating sugar, uh-huh. right? And so, like, actually, and if I if I try a sweet thing, like, they're not very good to me anymore. But on Easter, um, I told Jordan, I don't know, like, I don't know why I'm really in the mood for those Reese's peanut butter cups that have the Reese's pieces in them. And they are amazing. <laughs> and I having not had sugar forever, like I thought that I wouldn't like them, but no, they were still amazing. And I really did have a I went to bed thinking about those. And I know that's not the answer <laughs> you want, but because I have been so depraved of sugar, like I don't even eat it in like my sauces or anything. Mm-hmm. Like that was really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> also, gets another really disappointing answer. I had really good grits. Grits? Yeah, really good grits. And my husband makes his own bacon. Uh-huh. He's He cures bacon. And his bacon is so good. I used to think Costco bacon was the best bacon. It's not. Listen, next time I see you, remind me, I'll bring you I, some I would totally love some homemade bacon. <laughs> and it's so good. You get like grits and this like homemade bacon. And like manchego, because that's one of the cheeses I can eat. And it's just, I don't know. I hadn't had grits for a while, and it really did it for me. <laughs> so there's my answer is Reese's peanut butter cups. But they have to be the ones with Reese's pieces in them. And then grits with homemade bacon. <laughs> there's my, took me like 20 minutes to answer this. Hey, but man. there's my my sad, pathetic answer. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic, though. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Charlie. That was great. No problem. Thanks for having me, Brian. (laughs) Have a good one. Thank you very much. You too. Bye. And that was Charlie N. Holmberg. Thanks again to Charlie for coming to chat with me. Delightful as always. Uh, You can find Charlie's social media and links to a few of her books down in the show notes. And you can find me over at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 